And so this, this morning, if you're, if you're just joining us, we are actually, we are coming to the end of a journey that we started way back in Easter. And one of the goals I wanted to do with Easter and then the days that were following Easter is that going up to Easter, we know that the Easter is about the resurrection and that Good Friday is about the, the death of Jesus on the cross and then the resurrection. But I found that even as you talk with Christians, Christians will know what, what's Easter about. And even most people know, I know what Easter is about. It's about the resurrection. Yes. And bunnies. No. But it is about the resurrection. Yes. But then you start to talk with Christians. Sometimes with Christians, you go, maybe for you too, you go, well, what happened after the resurrection? You go, I'm not entirely sure. I know that some things happened. I know that Jesus maybe showed up some places, but I'm not sure exactly what happened. And so what I wanted to do is, is after flowing out of Easter was just to look at that. What happened after the resurrection? And then leading us all the way up to, as we looked at last week, was, was Pentecost. And I told you that the, the, the time between Jesus resurrects and he ascends into heaven. So remember, it goes the resurrection of Jesus. Forty days later, he ascends into heaven. Ten days after that, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descends on the believers. And so we saw this, and I've been telling you, is that, is that the, the 40 days, I think the, the main, one of the main things that Jesus is doing is he's, he's changing the commission of the disciples. The original invitation to discipleship was come and follow, come and follow, come and follow. You know, to Peter, just come and follow. Just do what I do. If I go here, you go there. If I go there, you go there. If I do this, you do this. Come and follow. But, but he has to transition them to something new, which was the now I want you to go and proclaim. And so I think a lot of the, the, the time between the resurrection and the ascension is the transition from the come and follow. Now what I want you to do is I want you to go proclaim. And what he has told them in the go proclaim, as we saw a few weeks ago, is he said, you're going, to, you're going to receive my power, right? So go to Jerusalem and wait, and you're going to receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to receive my power, and when you do, you're going to be my witnesses. You go, this is the mission of God, that by his power, we are his witnesses, now, when we talk about his witnesses, you go, so this means the witness to what? That God has moved. And so all you're supposed to really do is, is by the power of God, the Holy Spirit, by his power, you tell his story. And really, you go, so, so nothing is coming from us. We don't have to conjure up the power. We don't have to make up the story. The mission of God is really just by the power of God, we tell the story of God. And I love how what Jesus doesn't say is he doesn't say, I want you to go now and tell the world and just, I want you to craft the most dynamic children's programs. I want you to craft the, 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 the world-class musicians. I want you to preach incredibly engaging sermons. I want you to big, or build big buildings. And even I want you to do community service projects. Now, those things may help us achieve the end. Those things may help us build some bridges to tell the story. But we should not confuse the means of the mission with the goal of the mission. What's the goal of the mission? By the power of God, we tell the story of God. And so what we saw last week is that they go back into Jerusalem. They wait there. There's a big festival going on. The disciples are gathered. And just like Jesus had promised, the Spirit of God descends on the disciples. 
and they start speaking in foreign languages. It says tongues, but the idea is that it's foreign languages. People from all over the world have gathered for a festival. They start speaking the foreign languages all of a sudden and be like, all of a sudden I knew, I knew Chinese or, or, or Japanese and just started, and they just started talking. And it tells us in there, what are they talking about? Talking about the mighty acts of God. So I love it. You go with the mission of God. It's when the power came on them, they started telling the story of God. And what were they doing that in? It is in multiple languages. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to a foreign country, but if you spend any sort of time in a foreign country and the, you don't know the language, is that language just becomes at some level just white noise. Because you don't know it, you don't get it, you don't understand it. It just becomes white noise. But as soon as you hear someone speak your language, it's like, whoa. Whoa, I mean, I've, I've been here. I've been in cafes, you know, lots of different languages being spoken. I'm like, okay, I don't understand anything. And then I hear somebody in the corner speaking English. I'm like, ooh, who's that? So you speak English? Yes. Oh, let's talk. We, I mean, I could be friends here, but I can't really communicate really well outside of like which bagel I want. And so, but, but with you, we can actually talk about like some things. And so this is what happens. They're in this foreign place. They start hearing their languages spoken. And they're being told the mighty acts of God, and so a crowd gathers. And then Peter stands up, as we're going to see this morning. Peter stands up, and Peter does— Peter thinks in this moment what all good preachers think in this moment. It looks like these people, it looks like they need a sermon. And so this morning's going to be a little interesting, because I'm going to preach a sermon about a sermon. And so— even, even in prepping in this, so we're, I'm going to read, by the way, I'm going to read the sermon in its entirety, as, as, as is recorded. As we'll find out, it's actually not in its entirety, just in its entirety as recorded. But I'm going to read it all this morning, because even I thought this week, like, what am I going to do? Am I going to get up on Sunday morning and preach Peter's sermon better than Peter preached it? I think not. I think not. I don't, I don't think so. And so I'm going to go as close to what Peter has said and just kind of bring some meaning to understanding to some things that might be helpful. So with those things being said, why don't you turn with me in your Bibles this morning. We're going to start in Acts chapter 2, verse 14. Now, it says this. Sorry, 14. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you. Give ear to my words. For these people, they are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be. God declares that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. And even on my male, ser- male servants and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall be 
And sorry, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so what happened was, is the, the, as, as the people had gathered, the people had gathered and they heard all these languages being spoken, God's power, God's Holy Spirit was, was, was having them speak different languages. Some people, as we saw last week, some people said, what does this mean? Other people said, I think they're drunk. And I go, isn't that like the classic, the two classic responses to God's movement in this world? God moves and does something great. Some people go, this has got something, this means something, this means something. Other group of people just go, yeah, it's, it's meaningless, it means nothing. I go, isn't this, isn't this like how even today, we look today. God's moving and doing great things. We have people that are experiencing the exact same movement of God. And some people will walk away going, that means something. That means something. What does that mean? Other people will walk away and go, that doesn't mean anything. People are crazy. They're drunk. And I love Peter. What Peter does, when Peter addresses, and as he starts to kick off his sermon, he addresses, he addresses that first. He addresses both. He doesn't say, actually, if you think that we're drunk, get out of here. I'm talking to you. He actually addresses them. He goes, no, 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 no. And I think he's, 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 he's dealing with in jest because he, he says, like, you, you think they're drunk? No, no, it's way, way too early in the morning for that. I mean, I mean, sure, if it was like 6 o'clock in the evening, sure, maybe. After dinner, maybe. But 9 o'clock, no. These guys aren't drunk. And so he addresses both, and then I love what he does. See, the question was, what does this mean? And Peter's sermon is going to address the question, what does this mean? He's going to answer the question, what does this mean? What's going on? What does this mean? And so in that, I love what Peter does first. Peter then addresses the crowd, but what does he do? He goes straight to the Bible. He goes straight to the prophet Joel. And he starts quoting the prophet Joel. I love this. What does this mean? What's happening in our day today? Peter's first thing that he does, he goes, well, let me go back 500 years to when the prophet Joel said something. And we're going to let what the prophet Joel said 500 years ago, we're going to let that speak into our day-to-day. People want to know, what is it like? What does it mean to have a biblical worldview? I go, I'll tell you what it means to have a biblical worldview. It means that we see the, the world and everything that's happening in the world. We see it through the lens of the Bible. And this is what Peter's doing. He says, let me give you a biblical, I'm going, to, I'm going to give you understanding of what's happening here in this moment right now. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through the lens of what the prophet Joel said 500 years ago. It's interesting because I found often that, that Christians are like, they're freaked out by what's happening out in the world today. Josh, have you seen it? Have you heard it? It's crazy. Like, well, I mean, yes, it is crazy. Uh, but but it, sh- it shouldn't surprise us. Because if we look in here, and then we look out here, we should not be shocked. For if we look in here, and then we look out there, we should go, yeah, that seems about right. That seems about, yeah. That should be about what we expect. And this is what Peter does. Peter says, you want understanding about what's happening in your moment today? I'm going to take you back 500 years to what the prophet Joel said. Now, if you read that passage, there's a lot in that passage. But I think sometimes with that passage, unfortunately, what happens 
is we can't see the forest through the, uh, so we can't see the forest through the trees, right? We can't see the forest for the trees in the sense of like, we, we see all of this stuff and people read this passage and they go, oh my gosh. I mean, old men are dreaming dreams. Young men are seeing visions. Sons and daughters are prophesying. I don't know, then, then there's this whole thing about blood and fire and, and the vapor of smoke and, and darkness. Tell me more about that. But here's the problem with that, is that you can read all of that stuff and you would miss the headline. The headline, the headline of the Joel passage is this idea that he says that, that this is what, because this, this is the beginning. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. That's the main idea. Oh, and by the way, when my sports pulled out on all flesh, is that, you know, young men are going to, they're going to see visions. Old men are going to dream dreams. Sons and daughters are going to prophesy. But my spirit is going to be on all flesh. And this is what he says it again. They will be on all of their flesh. And then everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. People think that the crazy claim of, of Christianity you know, is, is some of these things in here. Because that's not the crazy thing. People don't think that we're crazy because we say, I had a dream. Oh, okay, that's fine. People have dreams. People don't think that Christianity is crazy because people had visions. Eh, okay, sure. I'll tell you the, one of the crazy, bold claims of Christianity is that all who are Christians, all who call upon the name of the Lord, not only are they going to receive deliverance, but they're going to receive the Spirit of God himself. This is what's insane. And the crazy, and the reason I say this is because sometimes Christians walk around like, oh yeah, and so I've got the Spirit of God. Like, that's just a normal thing. Now that may be normal to you, but in a post-Christian world, this is a shocking claim. And what we are saying is we believe that the, the, what the Bible teaches is that the Spirit of God is on you and in you and around you and it's taken up residency in you. And this is what the prophet Joel is saying. He says, there's coming a day. It's coming a day when I'm going to pour out my flesh on all humanity. And all who call on my name will be saved. And I think that even the bolder claim then you will have the Spirit of God is that the Spirit of God is for everyone. I mean, I think this is what the passage is saying. This is why he's saying, son and daughters, no matter your gender, right? No matter your class, your social status, servants. It's coming on, it's coming on female servants. No matter your age, the young men, the old men, the sons, the daughters. This is coming, what we see here is this is coming on everybody, which is interesting because I think if you're going to have a man-made religion, if I'm going to, you know, don't worry, I'm not going to make up a religion. But if I were going to, if I was going to, I, I would have a tiered system, right? You just have a tiered system. It's like, well, you can, you can buy in at this level. But if you do a little more, you know, you can buy in. This is a great marketing strategy, by the way. You can buy in at a, at a, at a, at a greater level, which will give you greater access. And you know religions that are like this. Maybe you came from a religion that was like this. You go to church more. You get more of God. 
more of the Spirit. If you tithe more, more of that Spirit will be on you. If you read the Bible more, more of that Spirit will be with you. But that's not what it says. I will pour out my flesh, I will pour my Spirit on flesh in everyone, no matter their age, no matter their, their social status, no matter their gender. My Spirit's coming on everybody. And all who call upon me will be saved. Both power and deliverance. So then he goes on in verse 22. And then in verse 22, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. And God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And so he quotes Joel. He says, Joel spoke of this day. What does this mean? Well, Joel spoke of this day. And this is what he said. And men of Israel, this Jesus, and I love what he says here. He goes, you knew who he was. Joel spoke of him. You knew who he was. And how did you know why, who he was? Because by the power, his mighty works that he displayed before you. You saw him heal people. You saw him raise people from the dead. You saw him feed the 5,000. You saw lots of things. You were witnesses to his power. God, God's power was moving. You were witnesses to it. And what did you do with it? You knew he was from God. And you killed him. And I love what it says. You killed him. You crucified him. You delivered him up and killed him by the hands of lawless men. The idea of the lawless men is the idea of Gentiles. So you Jewish people, he's speaking to the, the people of Israel, you Jews, you delivered him up to be killed to the lawless men, the Gentiles. And if you know what Gentiles, Gentiles just means a non-Jew. So we never sense as Jew and, Jew and Gentile is a way of saying everybody. It's a Jew and a non-Jew. So when he says, you people of Israel, you delivered them up to be killed by the lawless men, by the Gentiles, what he's saying is everybody's hands are dirty. Everybody's hands got in the Kool-Aid. Why? Because, because you delivered them up and then they crucified him. Jew and Gentile, everyone. But here's the beautiful thing. The grave could not hold him. You tried to kill him. You killed him. But the thing about killing him was that he did not stay dead. The grave gave him up. And I love the poetry that actually Peter uses here when he says, God raised him up, loosening the pangs of death. The idea behind this, this phrase is it's like the grave gave him up like a mother gives birth to a child. Now, if you because it's Father's Day, so here comes a Mother's Day uh, reference. But, uh, but, but, it, but it, in birth, you can, you can, you can, you know, you can work with, but even if you wanted to work against, at some point, the body would give up the child. You could try to hold it back, 
but you wouldn't want to. But, but even if you did want to, the, the, your body would, would physically give up the child giving birth to life. And that's the idea here. He goes, even if the grave wanted to hold him back, the pangs of the pangs of birth, the pangs, he loosened the pangs and it gave birth to, to, to life. He came to deliver you and you delivered him. He came to deliver you life. And what did you do with him, people of Israel? You delivered him to death. And so he says, the prophet Joel spoke of this day. You want to know what this means? The prophet Joel spoke of this day. I'm telling you of this day. Jesus himself, you knew it. You knew it. And you still did it. And then, if that wasn't enough, he brings King David into the mix, which is what he does next. The great King David. Then he says, For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life and you will make, full, you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with, with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus raised up, And of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out that, sorry, this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. So then he, he brings in this, this long passage of, uh, of David. This is actually, by the way, he's quoting Psalm 16, so you could go read Psalm 16. But then, I mean, this, this, this long passage of, of, of David where David says, you will not abandon my soul to Hades, to the grave, and, and you, will not let my, 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 you won't let my flesh see corruption. And I love what Peter does here. He goes, who's David talking about? When, when David says, you will, not, you will not leave me in the grave, who is he talking about? I love, what, well, I love what Peter does here. He says, we could go on a field trip. We could go on a field trip, and we could all march right on down to David's tomb where he is buried in the grave, and I could ask you the exact same question. Who is he talking about? He's talking about himself? Nope. Why? Because here is his tomb that he is still in. Who is he talking about? 
Did David never see corruption? Oh, (laughs) you read the story of David and you don't think to yourself, here's a man who saw no corruption. You would see to yourself a man who not only was experienced corruption, was at the hands of corruption, but also was active in creating corruption. Who's he talking about? And then he says, yeah, the Sunday school answer, Jesus? (laughs) Who's David talking about? Jesus? Yes. He goes, and this this Jesus, I love it, this Jesus, you turned him over to be crucified, to be killed. The grave could not hold him. The Father raised him up. And not only did he raise him up from the grave, he continued to raise him up even further than that, until he kept on raising him up, until he was at the right hand of God, the Father, until the Son was at the right hand of the Father, his rightful place. He took from from the grave the place he had no no business being on his own. Nothing that he would do that ever would lead him there. And so it's the place that he had no business being in that sense, and then raises him up to his rightful place. He keeps raising him up until he's at the right hand of the Father. And I love what Peter does here. He goes, this is the basic Christian message. You rejected him so that you may be found acceptable before the Father. This is the basic Christian message. That Jesus came and died and rose again. And it doesn't just stop there. Because that's where we typically stop it. Like, oh, yeah, Jesus died and then rose again. But then kept on rising and kept on rising, and the Father kept on lifting him up until he was at the right hand of God. And then, I love what he says in verse 36. Let all the house of Israel, therefore, know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ. I love this Jesus whom you crucified. In case you had missed, in case you fell asleep at the other part of the sermon, I'm coming back to it so that I want you to know for certain that he is Lord, that he is the Messiah, and that you killed him. And I love what he does. Your original question was, what does this mean? What does this mean? We saw the power of God working and moving, and my question was, what does this mean? And Peter's, basically his main answer is, I'll tell you what it means. The prophet of Joel, he pointed to Jesus. David pointed to Jesus. The Father pointed to the Son. The Spirit pointed to the Son. The Son pointed to the Son. And now I'm pointing you to the Son. This Jesus whom you crucified. And so, I think this idea is like, and here we are again. So you think about what's happened here, right? With Jesus He's saying, it's very clear, you knew that God was moving. You knew that God was moving with Jesus. And what did you do? You rejected him. 
And in rejecting him, you killed him. But now he's got life again. And here we find ourselves again. The Spirit of God is moving, and you're asking yourself the question, what does this mean? And you, O men of Israel, you get a decision to make. Will you do what you did the first time, which is to reject the work of God? Or will you make a different decision this time, which is to submit yourself to the work of God? I mean, has God ever brought you to, like, to the same place over and over again? And you feel like, why are we back here? Why am I back here? And this is, it's one of the most frustrating experiences. There's this, this, this decision that you have to make. And God's like, will you choose me or will you not choose me? And you say, well, I'm going to choose you later. It's just not now, Right? I'll choose you. So right now I'm going to not choose you, but don't you worry, Jesus, because down the road I will then choose you. And then you choose not God, and then God lets that play itself out. And then he brings you back to the place again. What will you do now? Will you choose me or reject me? And I know some of you in this room, you've come back to that place, and you go, no, I'm going to reject him again. And God's okay, sure. And then that plays out for a little while, and then it brings you back, and it says, so what are you going to do now? Choose me or reject me? Until God gets the answer that he's looking for, which is, I think I'm going to choose you. Good, good, good. That, that's a good decision. You see, what's happened was the Spirit of God was, was moving with Jesus, the Son. And they, this, this is Peter saying, you knew it. David knew it. Joel knew it. You knew it. Jesus told you. Now I'm telling you. Everybody told you. And you knew it. And what did you do? You rejected it. And here we find ourselves again. The Spirit of God is moving again and doing a magnificent work again. And my question to you is, what are you going to do this time? Well, I love their response. In verse 37, Now they heard this and were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I love this. Cut to the heart, this idea of conviction, and what shall we do? Remember the original question? What does it mean? Well, that question's been answered. Now the next question is, what should we do with it? But I love this idea. They were, they were cut to the heart. They were convicted. And they, that, that's the work of the Spirit. You know, conviction is, is, it goes from a generality to a specific thing. That's what conviction does, right? So you might think to yourself, this is true out there. That's a general, a general conviction. But we say when the Holy Spirit convicts, It's more than just a general conviction that's true out there. When the Holy Spirit convicts, it goes, not only is that true out there, but that's true in here. So it's like one thing to look at the world and go, oh, isn't this world selfish? Selfish world. But conviction of the Spirit says, but yeah, the selfishness out there is a problem, but I'll tell you what's the real problem in my life. I'll tell you what's really tripping me up is not the selfishness out there. What's really tripping me up is the selfishness in here. 
See, that's the Spirit moving and convicting. And they were cut to the heart. And the natural question when the Spirit convicts is, now what do we do? I love this. What does it mean? Peter answers the question. I'll tell you what it means. The Spirit of God has come, just like he promised. And is it doing a mighty work and is looking to be poured out upon you with the forgiveness of sins is going to come the power, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. I'll tell you what it means. And the question is, now, what do we do with it? I'll tell you one of, the, one of my frustrations in a, uh, probably with our culture right now, there's, I've got lots of them, by the way, but one of them, one of them, one of them is we never move away from the, the question, what does this mean? We just stay there. What does this mean? I know, I, know, I know people in faith. I'll talk with them. I got questions. Great. Great. Well, you know, uh, what does this mean? And, well, you know, yeah, we can talk about that. And I go, but, but what are you going to do with it? Well, before I figure out what I'm going to do with it, I want to know what does this mean? Okay, well, yeah, sure. This means this. And then, okay, well, but what are you going to do with it? Well, before I get there, I want to know what this now means. And I go, oh, we're just on this meaning trail, aren't we? All you want is more information, more information. But the question is, are you going to do something with the information you've already been given? Because if not, all the information you're going to get from this point is just going to make you probably more prideful, which is, you know, that's a sin too. So, so it, that's not going to be very helpful. You have to be able to move from the, what do I, like, what does this mean to the, what do I do with this? We live in the information age and yet we feel this fracturing right now. And I would submit to you, our problem is not information. Our problem right now is not because we can't answer the question, what does this mean? Our problem is that we, we can't answer the question, but what do we do with it? How should we steward it? And so their, their question goes, what do we do? What do we do? Good question. By the way, it's the question every preacher loves. What should we do, preacher? Solve the dilemma. Verse 38. And Peter said to them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you, and for your children, and for all those who are far off, everyone whom the, the Lord our God calls to himself. What should we do, Peter? Go and be better people from now on. But promise me you will do it. Yeah, yeah, okay. Go and, and build the, the, the big buildings. Go and, 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 and do, uh, just, just serve people. Those things are good, by the way. They can be good, by the way. But that's not what he tells them. Why? Because something is missing. If all he tells them is to go and be different, then that message is no message that is different than the other messages they would have heard, maybe. Repent, what does it say? Repent or turn around. Trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. 
and you will receive power. This idea that you repent, Jesus forgives, the Spirit gives power. You repent, Jesus gives forgiveness, the Spirit gives power. You know, I, our, one of the things that really plagues us right now as a, as a culture is we're not really sure what to do with our sin. What do we do with it? I think we went through a period of time where we're like, well, just, let's just deny it. Like, yeah, like, hey, hey, you're okay, I'm okay. Like, hey, hey, I can't say anything about what you're doing, and you're your own judge. I can't say, uh, so let's just deny it, and like, I'm okay, you're okay. But what's interesting is, is we've been on that route now for, I don't know, at least 30 years, is that now we can feel the fractures of that. We can feel that it's starting to come apart. It doesn't hold water. Why? Because I may actually think that you're okay, but I know inside of me that I'm not okay. And so now the big question that plagues us, one of them is, what do we do with our sin? And so we went through this period of time, we're like, we'll just deny it. But that didn't work. And so actually right now, I think we're in this place where we we acknowledge it, and we may even say, as a culture, we may even say you need to repent of it. In other words, know what's broken in you and just be different. Just stop it. Which is interesting because I go, so I, but how do we do that? Repent, turn around. And so, so now what we do, like, well, well you're going to be inspired in different ways. And so maybe we'll watch like a TED Talk. And the TED Talk will be on, like, generosity. And you go, oh, here's a story about a guy. It's a five-minute story because I don't want to commit more than five minutes to that. I mean, you know, so, uh, so <laughs> I want to be super generous, but I just don't have a lot of time to do that. So I want something sh- short and quick and witty. And maybe you, you, you watch the TED Talk, 15 minutes, whatever it is, and you think, oh, there's a story about generosity. Yes. And you think to yourself, I'm going to live that way. I'm going to go out and do just that. So you have this inspiration now to be different because you know that you're greedy to be different. Problem is, is like you and everybody else that watches the same talk goes out and maybe is generous to the first person they see, but then after that just reverts back to their greedy ways. And they go, why, why, why? I'll tell you why. Because it's missing two parts. Peter says, repent, turn around, be different. And God's part is that he will give you the forgiveness of sins and the power. In other words, you can't change. You want change. You want to change. But the reason why you can't change is because you lack the forgiveness and you lack the power. And what's interesting, actually, is even our culture would tell us this. Where does the power and the forgiveness come from change. They go, well, you have to learn how to forgive yourself. Learn how, if you can learn how to forgive yourself, you will be different. You will change. And if you're more disciplined and you work harder, the power is within you to bring about the change. Both of which the gospel say, that's a lie. Because the power is not within you, nor is the forgiveness within you. And this is what Peter's saying. Both of those are external. Both of those offered to you from Jesus. 
The forgiveness comes from Jesus. The power comes from Jesus. And so Peter does not leave them in this place. This is why when Jesus first shows up, he does not tell the disciples, now go and proclaim. I'm going to tell you a quick message. Change. Now go tell everybody else. Why? Because the cross hasn't happened. The forgiveness hasn't happened. And the power hasn't happened. But once the cross has happened and the power has happened, the message is now, go and proclaim. You call people to repentance. The change will happen with the forgiveness of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. The cross and Pentecost. And without those two, you're setting people up for failure. And by the way, this is offered not only to you, but everybody. Those that are far off, those that are close, your children, those not born yet, this is for the world. And I love the response. This is in in verse 40. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and were added that day about 3,000 souls. I love that. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them. I love, I think as Luke wrote this, I love, I love Luke's summary of, of, of Peter. And this is how actually how we know Peter is a preacher. It says, because basically what Luke just says, like, he said a lot of other things, and he just kept on going and going and going. But this was his basic message. This was the general, the synopsis of his message. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. If I read that this week, I thought, you know what that tells me? Because this was written 2,000 years ago. There's sort of a general sense of crooked generations. Save yourself from this crooked generation. We read that today and we go, oh, isn't that true? I go, you know what? They may, they may look different, but crooked generations have been around for a really, really long time. And what does he say about the crooked generation? Save yourselves from it. How do you save yourself from a crooked generation? Uh, you get new leaders. Nope. Mm, new policies. Nope. Uh, political reform. Nope. Stockpile ammo. Nope. <laughs> none of that. It is none of that. How do you save yourself from the crooked generation? You repent. You trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you will receive the power. That's how you do it. I was noticing this week the, uh, the activity of the Spirit. Do you know that the, the Spirit drew the crowd? Right? So the, the power of the Spirit descends and the power of the Spirit descending draws a crowd. So that So the Spirit empowers them. Then the Spirit draws the crowd. Then 
the Spirit speaks through Peter. But the Spirit, all the Spirit does is so he speaks through Peter, but then actually Peter just speaks things that the Spirit spoke through Joel and through David. So the Spirit speaks in a new way, things that he had already spoken in another way. And then the Spirit draws them all. The Spirit then calls them all. The Spirit then points them to Jesus. The Spirit then convicts them of sin. And then the Spirit indwells them all. Their job, as we said in the beginning, is to, by the power of God, tell the story of God. And when that happens, people become a part of that story. And so my question to you is, what will you do with this? My, 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 my great prayer is that you would move from, what does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? To, but what do I do with this? And the good news is, Peter already tells us, I don't have to come up with, the, with the, uh, an application that is better than Peter's, right? But it's not even true. Again, I can't. And in this case, Peter gives us the application, what do I do? Peter says, I'll tell you what you do. You repent. You trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. And you trust him for the power. If you're not a Christian, this is where you start. You trust Jesus for that he forgave you for your sins on the cross that he's the one who restores the relationship between you and the Father. And the evidence of that restored relationship is the presence of the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. If you are a Christian, my question to you is, how many times does God have to keep leading you to the same sin or keep kind of giving you an option point to you go, finally go, God, I, I think I choose you this time. Good. Your spirit's moving. I want, to, I want to partner with your spirit this time instead of reject your spirit. Good, good, good. That's what it looks like. Repent and trust in me for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the power, the forgiveness and the power both to bring about the repentance you so long for. I find Christians with the forgiveness part, I'll pray with them. I just, I need to ask for forgiveness for this thing I did like five years ago. Did you already pray for that? You go, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I prayed, I prayed for that forgiveness every day for the last five years. I go, oh, okay. So the problem is you're not trusting in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. Like, no, 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 I am. That's why I keep on coming back to him every day for the last five years. I go, no. See, if you prayed that five years ago, you don't need to ask for it again today. The trusting that he has forgiven you means that you go, It's done. Now what we get to do is thank him for the forgiveness he gave you. That's what we get to do. That's going to be our prayer. And the thanksgiving is the trust. And so what do you do when God is moving in you? Maybe God's moving in you like this, in this season of life, in this moment. The Spirit of God is stirring in you. You can reject him or you can repent. You can turn around Trust Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive both the power and the forgiveness that you need for change. Let's pray.
God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is good and is powerful. We thank you for the sermon spirit that you gave Peter so many years ago. I thank you for the 3,000 in that moment that responded positively to your spirit moving. I pray that would be true of us, both individually and corporately, that we would be able to move with your spirit that when your spirit cuts to our hearts, that we would respond appropriately. That we would turn around. That we would trust you for forgiveness. And that you would give us not only the forgiveness that we need, but you would give us the power that we need. And that in this changed life, The life that is changed by your power becomes part of your story. And so by your power, as we, by your power, tell your story, may your power be at work in our life so that we become part of that story. May you be glorified. Jesus, we thank you that Joel points to you. We thank you that David pointed to you. We thank you that Peter pointed to you. We thank you that the Father points to you. We thank you that you pointed to yourself. Spirit, we thank you that you pointed to Jesus. May our lives, too, as well reflect that. May we point to you. We love you. We pray for these things in your name. Amen.